Gotta have a little music from across the pond. As we go there now to the Minuteman Press guest line, and welcome to the program, the professor of politics at Birkbeck College in London, Eric Kaufman. Good morning, Professor Collin. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. I'm Canadian, though, so I'm sorry to disappoint you with the accent. <laughs> All right. Well, that's okay. We love our Canadian neighbors, too. Um, well, it, uh, this has been uh, one of those things, probably not um, uh, going to be terribly surprising to a lot of people. We have been hearing for, you know, I don't know if it's been a half dozen years now, but at least the last three or four of uh, news stories periodically of um, people on college campuses being fired if their staff, um, organizations, student organizations being shut down, uh, kicked off campus, uh, uh, appearances by speakers for some groups either uh, canceled or disrupted so severely that they couldn't take place. And this is in a in, in at least in in the states here, uh, you know, in a, in a country that professes uh, to want to be an exchange of ideas sort of place, and and most universities have always uh, tried to be that, I believe. And uh, this flies in the face of that. Uh, tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing, the uh, the surveys that you've been conducting, and and ultimately some of the takeaways. Well. Yeah, basically what I wanted to do was get beneath the anecdotes to the the data, really, and just to, to try and understand what is the level of fear, uh, what is the level of discrimination uh, that particularly political minorities, conservatives, and also what are known as gender-critical feminists who believe that uh, biological uh, sex is, is linked to gender identity, uh, you know, how much um, chill are they feeling? So I conducted about eight surveys uh, across the U.S., Britain, and Canada, and they all more or less say the same thing, which is that there's a, a very high level of um, discrimination and chill effects uh, being experienced. Uh, and this is actually in many ways a much more important thing than a few uh, no platformings. Um, you know, it, it, those high-profile effects that make the media are really just the tip of an iceberg, which is something that um, is going on every day in universities, the self-censorship amongst staff and also uh, amongst students as well. And it just sort of shrinks the, the scope for free discussion and free speech. Well, uh, it, it's certainly not limited to universities. We're seeing it, uh, you know, permeate out to social media platforms and the public square in general uh, in, in a lot of cases. So the the question, one of the questions, has to be, uh, where where does this have its roots? Um, that this is starting to be the popular response to uh, the minority opinions, so to speak. Well, I think actually this is a longer running uh, process, and it, it is it's to do with there's two things going on. One is what we can think of as punishment, which is where the administration 
um, hauls you in on a complaint, expels you, threatens you. Uh, and actually, in the surveys that I did in the U.S., it looks like one in three graduate students, that is one in three Ph.D. students or members of academic staff, have either been disciplined or threatened with discipline for their uh, views in teaching and research. So that's a really quite significant share. It's not the majority, but it's still an important share of conservatives who've experienced that. So you have the punishment, but then you've also got the discrimination, which is so a question we asked is, you know, would you hire a known Trump supporter? Four in ten academics uh, said they would not, uh, revealed that they would not. So that's also a very high level of discrimination. It's not the same thing as the university saying you're going to lose your job. It's sort of more a matter of, well, you're not going to get promoted or published or, or you might get socially ostracized. So it's a different thing, but together they reinforce this sense of, of, of self-censorship. Now, how did this start? Well, it sort of starts at the beginning with academia becoming dominated by uh, the left. And that sort of begins to happen in the 1990s, late 80s, early 90s. It goes from about two, two left to one conservative to, you know, it starts to go towards six, seven, eight to one by the mid-2000s, and now we're at, the, the number I had was about 14 to one. So once you get the ratio moving up into the sort of five, six, sevens, um, the political discrimination then starts to become more serious. And then more recently we've seen with the, the cancel culture, that, that sort of punishment side of the equation, that's kind of come in since about, it seems to me since 2015 for the no platformings, if we look at the data from the National Association for Scholars, the um, punishment of academics in terms of firing and, and, and threats, that sort of really takes off in, this, in 2019. So that's more recent. Um, I know this wasn't necessarily historical, so uh, pardon me if I'm uh, delving further than, than, than your knowledge right. level goes here, but I'm sure in talking to, uh, you know, tenured professors and tenured staff and those kinds of things, they've had at least some comments. Least some comments. But uh, to, to our knowledge, is, is this the uh, first time we've really seen this sort of thing appear on campuses, or is this a, a part of perhaps an ebb and flow that you know gets to extremes on the pendulum and then sw swings back the other way. Have people communicated to you that oh, I haven't seen this much since something? Um, I would say from what I can gather, there's no, there's an ebb. So, so there's a flow, but there's not much ebb. You know, so you had in the 1960s, you had uh, campus occupations, you had demands to create you know, 50 black studies positions, and you had all of these sorts of, uh, you know, and, and you did have restrictions on, on free speech, the students sort of not wanting professors to teach this and that, not wanting military recruiters on campus. So you had a certain amount of that happening. But then I think that sort of gets locked in, and so you have that higher uh, level of, of leftism and, and, and radicalism, which is then embedded increasingly into the university. So it doesn't go away. And, and then in the 1980s and 90s, we had political correctness, and you saw another wave, and that was consolidated. And now we're into the third, what's known as a great awakening by Matthew Iglesias. So that is now a third wave. I don't think we have seen the ebbing away. There's, no, there's not really been any ebbing away. I think it's just been a consolidation after each revival movement. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see this thing going away, I'm afraid. Well, it, it, um, it, it begs the question, is, is there a way out of, of this? I mean, I understand that there are certainly, um, you know, different approaches to... Uh, understanding and solving a lot of the uh, political discussions that are that are had out there these days 
Um, when it comes to the educational system, it's it's somewhat unique. It it can be kind of set up so that as you know, uh, board positions or uh, you know uh, positions of authority um, are vacated, that uh, that they can be replaced without much public input. So it might not reflect the surrounding community uh, or anything like that. It, it, even if they're public universities. Um, that that's a little bit strange, perhaps, to some of us in in uh, and I in a mm. world where we're supposed to be a democracy. Um, right. But um, yeah, I, I, there's there's really nobody sort of watching the door there to to try and achieve a uh, political diversity of thought that that would be welcoming to everyone. That's right, absolutely. I mean, one of the key points I think is you know. Some of these speech codes that have been put in in the late 1980s, you know, these are unconstitutional. They, you know, almost all of them are unconstitutional. They're, they remain on the books. Uh, yes, they when they go to court, they always lose pretty much. But you know, that means you have to take them to court, and and so that you'd rather not take that step. And so, yeah, how do we address this? You here in Britain, I think the government is. It just in the last two years has has really embarked on a fresh direction, and they are now doing very uh, what I think is going to be quite uh, tr- revolutionary things to try and get at this problem. And, and so, I mean, basically, I think there is the universities cannot reform themselves. I mean, that is actually one of the the lessons. This is kind of a closed system in which you have a, a hostile environment with chill effects that repels conservatives from entering the profession, and that reinforces the ch- you know the, the closed monoculture which produces the chill effect so you're kind of into this um closed spiral what you what you need what the government's doing here for example is it's not just a matter of waiting for someone to sue the university for violating their academic freedoms they are saying to universities you have to uphold and promote academic freedoms if you do not you are going to we're going to be auditing you first of all and we're going to be responding to complaints uh, that people can make around their universities and you will be liable to fines as well now the universities are all public here so that maybe makes it easier but what that means is that universities are not going to be allowed to sort of break rules and then in the hope that no one uh, takes them to court they're, they're actually going to be monitored and proactively regulated that's the only way actually to deal with the the problem of chilling effects the other second thing is to actually um, make more of an emphasis on political discrimination not being okay. Uh, you know, that that needs to be, universities can't be overtly political in their communications to students. Ac- individual academics have their freedom to be political, but not uh, institutions. You really have to sort of come, because these institutions have been captured, you, it's only going to be from the outside that they can be reformed. Well, it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what this what the, what the takeaway is. I find it fascinating. Uh, for instance, in you in you comparing this, it it doesn't seem to matter whether it's across the pond or not, so to speak. Uh, you mentioned two things in your Wall Street Journal article. One of which that um, a Trump supporter on a campus somewhere, uh, basically ninety percent of them are not comfortable expressing their political beliefs to a colleague and the interesting thing is that if you if you were talking and apparently you did to to uh, progressive leaning uh, people on a campus 
uh, they would say, yeah, probably not very many, and a little bit higher, but they, they have admitted that probably only 14 or 15 percent um, of Trump supporters would want to talk to them about it, which which means that they recognize the problem as much as, <laughs> as the side being stifled. And you use that same example, um, but with Brexit support in Britain and found very similar results. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So that that's sort of the the degree of self censorship that is going on is that uh, you know even amongst the ninety five percent of academics uh, in our surveys who were not Trump supporters, you know, eighty five percent of them thought a Trump supporter would keep that view to themselves. You know, and in Britain it was you know the equivalent numbers are are sort of say seventy percent instead of eighty five percent and and eighty percent instead of ninety. So it's a little bit less. Uh, but it's not much difference. So, yeah, you have a, a high degree of self-censorship. The big problem there in terms of academia is, of course, um, people also self-censor in what they research, what they write, uh, because they don't want to be found out, because then that's going to mean that's going to affect their work relationships, their promotion prospects and everything. So that the whole thing is is really warping um, the direction of knowledge and, 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 and the discussions in class and everything. I mean, it's really warping the entire university. Um, the key thing, I think a lot of people on the right uh, are used to the idea of uh, government not being in, in, involved in organizations' business. And I think that really has to change. I, I think people have to understand that there's three levels to society. There's government and the citizens, but there's this middle layer of institutions like corporations and and universities and so on and the threats to liberty can come out of that that middle layer of institutions and that's i think the situation we're in now and the really the only way for for dealing with that it's like with a corrupt police department you actually need to have um, the government go in and 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 sort it out and and even though there's this allergy to to government intervention i think that has to be overcome because if not um, the field is simply going to be left wide open for for the uh, you know essentially a kind of progressive authoritarianism to take root in these institutions. The worst of it is in the universities, but it's also elsewhere. It's in the the arts and it's in motion pictures and publishing and and even in tech firms. So you you know this is something I think that does demand a new uh, political approach that uses government, which is a lot more. Uh, open to scrutiny than committee meetings uh, behind closed doors in these institutions. Well, I'm not uh, sure of the uh, politics <laughs> over uh, in Britain and uh, and or Canada for that matter. Uh, we know what it's like here. It is at the largest divide anybody can remember. Um, there's currently legislation moving through Congress right now as it relates to COVID, but it, it, it's going without any bipartisan support. Um, and right now, today in, in the U.S., uh, the makeup is, um, to the, to the liberal advantage, if you want to call it that. Um, well, we're not very good at self-policing ourselves, uh, in, certainly in this country, and, I, and that goes on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> we just don't seem to be able to do a good job of that. So, I, you know, if, if the answer is government coming in and and trying to set this balance straight, um, isn't there also a danger that the government could come in and actually make it worse? Well, I don't think so, and for this reason, basically, the on the progressive side, all the government has to do is nothing, 
and then let essentially let the dirty work be done in the institutions, right? So essentially, you know, there's nothing the government can do that's worse than what's what's happening, right? And nothing that any, whether it be the Biden or, or anybody else, uh, it's almost nothing they can do. Uh, I mean, yeah, they can make it a bit worse, perhaps, but but generally they're not going to be driving the problem. The, the, all they have to do is get out of the way and not not look at what's going on in these institutions. Because what's happening is the activists in the institutions are have launched this culture war, and really if the governments or if the political parties don't get involved in that culture war, then it's going to be a one-sided victory. So, so what I'm saying is that, you know, yes, you might still lose, but at least if government, if this is a political issue which governments campaign on, uh, raise it in the public consciousness, then it becomes something that maybe um, people can be held accountable for. So maybe if if the left-wing party gets in and they go back to the old ways, um, maybe that can get uh, politicized and maybe they'll they'll back off uh, doing that and then you'll get a, a bipartisan consensus. I mean, that's the hope. But I think if the um, kind of right-leaning, right-leaning parties just stand out of the way, then it's just going to be uh, more of the same. All right, uh, Professor of Politics at uh, Birkbeck College in London, Eric Kaufman, is our guest on the Minuteman Press guest line. Eric, if you can uh, hold on through a break here, uh, I want to ask sure. you uh, when we come back, how pervasive is this? For instance, um, if I were to say, oh, uh, tell me what you may have found in uh, surveying uh, religious uh, institutes of higher learning, those kinds of things, especially as we have them here, uh, Concordia colleges and all those kinds of, uh, you know, is, is the reverse effect true? Uh, is there a chilling effect going the other way, um, for the more, uh, progressive line of thinking, or is that not a two-way street? I will get your answer to that and we'll continue the discussion right after this quick timeout on your talk show on WCLO. All the stories have been told of kings and days of old, but there's no ink. Find your style with Patriot Lighting and save with 11% off everything now at Menards. Come check out our lighting showroom and choose from our huge selection of more than 7,000 interior lights. Save with 11% off all Patriot Lighting and find your style today. Get 11% off everything right now at Menards. Good through Saturday, March 13th. Savings are a mail-in rebate. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at Menards. North Atlantic Cod, caught fresh in the icy North Atlantic. Culver's Cod is hand-cut, hand-battered, and golden-fried after you order. Come into your local Rock County Culver's and try the North Atlantic Cod Filet as a sandwich. Or the North Atlantic Cod Dinner, served with Culver's Family Recipe Tartar Sauce, featuring olives, capers, and sweet relish. Your choice of two side dishes and a warm dinner roll. Available at your local community-minded Rock County Culver's of Janesville, Newville, and Beloit. Are you thinking about selling your home and figuring out your next move? I'm Ben with Cedarcrest with some exciting news. We are scheduling tours for our new townhomes. Whether you're ready to make a move today or just planning for the future, come and see why people are proud to call Cedarcrest their home. Call 373-6304 to schedule a tour or go to cedarcrestlife.com. At Cedarcrest, home happens here. 
A half hour from now, when you finally finish that load of whites, run the dishwasher, and you're ready for that hot bath. Ah, ice cubes. This bath feels like ice cubes. Who wants a bath of ice cubes? Not you. E&D Waterworks is here to help. Come visit our showroom. We have water heaters by Aosmith, Ream, and Navian on display. Or visit us online at edwaterworks.com. E&D Waterworks. If water runs to it or through it, we do it. You have an AM-FM radio, a smartphone. Yes, that is correct. A laptop computer, a tablet computer, iPad. And you can hear WCLO on all of them. We have the technology. Listen, log on, use the app. WCLO, Janesville, Beloit, and WCLO.com. So ferry, cross the Mersey, cause this land's the pace I we are chatting this morning with uh, a professor of politics at Birkbeck College in London, and we are glad to have with us on the Minuteman Press guest line, Eric Kaufman. Eric, um, it, interesting stuff. I, I can't help but feel like I'm leaning one-sided here in a, in a show that tries very hard to, to consider both points of view, but... I don't sense personally as much cancel culture on the left. I sense a lot of sparring. I sense a lot of angry words spoken by conservatives to Democrats, just as uh, Democrats to uh, Republicans or uh, liberals to conservatives. Uh, but I don't necessarily support see the the same sort of um, hindrances to that sort of speech. I may see it in practice in some proposed legislation in those kinds of things. But does this permeate across the spectrum to places that might be more traditionally conservative as uh, high, institutes of higher learning go, where, where the, uh, the more progressive voices feel canceled out? Um, yeah, yeah. I think that uh, it's important to, to emphasize this, that this does cut both ways in society in that right and left uh, discriminate against each other roughly in roughly similar proportions. Uh, educated people tend to be more politically prejudiced than less educated people. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty even across society. And the question then just becomes, in any given institution, what is the balance? And even in academia, what I find is left and right discriminate against each other in roughly similar, at, at roughly similar rates. It's just that when you are outnumbered sort of 10 to 1, let's say, your discrimination uh, doesn't amount to a hill of beans compared to um, the <laughs> discrimination right. directed against you, right? So, so that's all that, and also it depends how transparent the beliefs are. So in particularly the social sciences and humanities, you can kind of read somebody's politics right off their work if they're, if they're open about it. Um, and so it, that's another reason why I've, I compared academia to several other um, Professions and found that the chill effects, the sort of self-censorship amongst uh, Brexit supporters, say in Britain, was 20 to 30 points higher in academia and universities than in any other uh, profession that people indicated. So it is simply more, um, it's, it's simply easier to spot people's beliefs and there's more of a political skew. And so that's the reason the problem's worse. We often hear about uh, the situation in combination with a description that is um, being tossed around, at least in America, of, of indoctrination, that when my college-age student 
uh, particularly if I'm a conservative, goes to a four-year university, that they're going to be indoctrinated and, and basically almost forced to change their points of view uh, through this endless barrage uh, that, that comes at them. Um, is that is that a fair accusation of the current system, or is this just people that are like-minded that are that are sharing that point of view and saying, um, you know, I don't know why you're disagreeing with me. We have evidence to back this up. Well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think actually the evidence for the in- indoctrination is quite weak in the sense that a lot of the studies that look at uh, people's um, ideology and politics going into university and track students over time, they don't seem to find much change uh, in, in people. And I think that's right. I don't think uh, university, I don't think the academics are shaping people's views very much. I mean, even in the social sciences and humanities, I mean, obviously in the sciences, it's not going to have any effect because that's not what they're talking about. So I don't think that's really the, the issue. Um, I think the issue is much more to do with the production of knowledge and, and the way that influences the rest of society um, and, and some of the injustices just associated with the discrimination and cancellation of particularly academics. Uh, but no, indoctrination, I, I don't think that's going on in any, in any significant way. I mean, there's attempts perhaps in, in a few radical disciplines, but then probably people have selected into those disciplines anyway because they're, they're already uh, in harmony with that perspective. Sure. All right. So, um, in the, in the in the grand scheme of things here, then, um, if I'm a, if I'm a conservative voice and I feel that I need to self censor myself, I'm not going to talk about any of these uh, political points that I feel I might get skewered on, so to speak. Um, we 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 chill the discussion points. And that seems to happen more and more, Eric, over um, philosophical, almost unverifiable points in a discussion that people begin to pull, again, on both sides of the aisle, um, sort of their own perceptions of a fact they saw or uh, social media discussion that was had or whatever it is into these arguments to justify the cancellation of what is mostly subjective. Yeah, well, I mean, there are some interesting, I mean, one issue is to do with uh, sacred values. And so um, it's one thing to, you know, it's one thing to have a different interpretation of a set of facts. But once you invoke certain kinds of sacred values, such as in on universities, race, gender, and sexuality are kind of the, the holy trinity, right? So those subjects are almost impossible to discuss rationally. Um, and it may be the case that in a, in a, you know, in a Republican area, uh, it might be very difficult to discuss, you know, I don't know, religion or the military or something else. So, so there would be a different set of sacred values. I mean, it's just that in the university, which is sort of where I inhabit, the ones that are very prominent are around, uh, around uh, race, gender, and sexuality. So I think, therefore, if you're if you're doing um, research and you find, for example, that uh, income differences by ethnic group are not down to discrimination, let's say, let's say you claim that this is down to uh, different groups having different settlement histories and different interests uh, promoted in their culture, etc., then then you're going to be you're going to have a lot of trouble getting that published. You might even be uh, not threatened, but you might even have people. Uh, coming after you on social media. So 
it's to do with which which values are sacred. It's one thing to have disagreement, but when there are certain topics that are off the table because they're deemed to be sacred, then it's just not possible to to get to the truth. Uh, and and I, I fully submit this is this is a problem on both sides. But at university, the problem lies more with the left, and particularly because the radical left is is able to kind of police speech and morality. Um, through threats, through through social media pylons, through no platformings, uh, you know, uh, through formal complaints, a whole set of series series of procedures uh, that chill speech really on, particularly on the on the sort of hot button issues. If we go back to try and trace the origins of this, as I suggested before, Eric, um, the one thing that I see, and I may have a very skewed view of this, but uh, it almost occurs in lockstep with the development of more platforms where more people can hang out together, uh, so to speak, than ever before. When I was a kid growing up in high school, I hung out with my friends at the mall. My friends and I had largely the same viewpoints, or we went to Ben Friends. Um, and, and that's how it went forward. And, and when you watch the news, it was just a report of, of what happened that day without a bunch of panels and forums and all that kind of thing. And then the internet comes into being. And the, you know, initially it was fun. Then it became, oh, there's all these little groups that, that, that started to be, uh, you know, carved out, which got worse and worse. And, here we are today with Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and, and them now participating in the same activity where a lot of times it is not uh, a blatant uh, misreport of a fact. It is simply someone that is saying, hey, based on these six facts, I have reached a conclusion that's different than yours. And they say, well, that's wrong, and they censor it. Yeah, I, I think social media has had a, a, a negative effect. But, you know, if you look at the studies on what, what's called effective uh, polarization or effective um, partisanship. You know, we now what happened in 1980 in the U.S., for example, whether if you were a liberal or a conservative, that didn't generally line up very well with whether you were a Republican or a Democrat. Um, 20, 25 years later, the two were very highly correlated. So conservative Democrats became Republicans and liberal Republicans wound up as Democrats. And, and then you get the secondary phenomenon of, okay, well, I, I wouldn't want to be friends, wouldn't want my daughter to marry <clears throat> someone of the other party. You know, those sorts of measures are now have been ticking upward over the last, yeah, 10 years or so. And, and so, yeah, we're into this position of sort of almost an emotional disgust reaction amongst particularly better educated um, people who follow politics, but not just them. And so, yeah, that's kind of the the background of this but uh, you know in britain it's it's maybe a little less intense than that and in canada it's also a bit a little less intense although growing more so um uh, but yet even in britain and canada you've got quite a bit of this cancel culture activity because that's really led by a small minority of of uh, very intolerant um uh, you know generally very intolerant progressive authoritarians uh, not by the, the the greater swath but the problem is the progressive authoritarians meet very little resistance because a lot of people are just scared to put their 
their head above the parapet and take these people on and just say, well, partly they don't know the arguments, partly they have some sympathy for the ends, even if they don't like the means. Uh, but the long and the short of it is the small, a small amount of people are able to intimidate a much larger amount of people and, and therefore set the tone. So that's another big problem in these institutions. And uh, again, once uh, once people in these institutions, uh, professors and, and deans and, and the like, are, are are in a position, it is fairly impossible to do anything in opposition to them if the the, the core leadership that is responsible for hiring and firing uh, aligns with the, with that same sort of philosophy. Well, yeah, and, and, but very often they're just scared uh, of these people. They're scared that they might raise, raise a stink on, on Twitter. Everyone's mortified to be accused of being a racist or even a conservative. Once you're in that reactive position, uh, you don't actually have to believe what the cancelers uh, believe to enact their program. And, and so, so that's one of the, the – there's kind of a system where you have – it's like a domino that all you need is a few dominoes to set the whole thing going. And – uh, the whole system kind of herds along because there's nobody willing to to stand up. Part of this is because there are very few conservatives in the system, and they they are much more likely to oppose such these sorts of things openly. Uh, but the other thing is, of course, just because as a society, and particularly in polite society, uh, anything around race, gender, and sexuality has been sacralized. So you know you're almost com committing blasphemy if you actually are questioning those who are fighting in the name of these sacred values. And so, so that whole sacred system, that belief system, uh, has has a, you know it's acquired a grip um, over even people who don't aren't true believers. So how how we break that is sort of going to be one of the big big challenges uh, you know of society. How do we get away from this kind of politics of unreason? Um, but it's worst in the universe, the worst place for it, unfortunately. Well, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a short-term <laughs> solution, I don't believe. And uh, we're going to have to uh, – awareness is always the first step as far as I'm concerned. And, and noting that this is um, recognized – I find it somewhat odd that it's recognized – uh, by a lot of the uh, people, e even uh, e that are involved in the uh, cancel culture, uh, to the degree that they're participating in canceling culture, and they recognize that though uh, their opponents probably feel that, um, that that doesn't trigger some sort of a moral, ethical, uh, emotional response to say, well, we oughtn't be doing this then. Well, it's it, what's interesting is if you ask. So, so one of the questions I asked is, would you do you want quotas on? Should people have to have quotas for race and gender on their reading list? You know, thirty percent minority, twenty percent female, or, or or I think it was the other way around. Uh, and you actually had quite high support for this in the professoriate, almost fifty percent. And and then if you turn around and say, okay, so you want to have these quotas. What if somebody doesn't abide by them, uh, doesn't, doesn't actually want to meet them? How would you punish them? Um, would you actually fire them? Would you, would you sort of cancel their course? And then you realize that actually a lot of people aren't willing to sort of in, you know, take the authoritarian steps that, that what they advocate uh, is going to result in. So I think what we have a lot of, in a lot of the cases is you have people with these progressive sympathies, uh, and they look the other way. They don't want to actually face up to what 
the kind of authoritarianism that, that what they're advocating would entail. And so we're into this system where, you know, you have the cancelers who are pushing ahead and you have a sort of much larger group of 40 or 50 percent, as I show in the surveys, who, who yeah, now they don't support these cancel attempts, but they don't oppose them either. So they, they would rather kind of sit it out, look the other way. And I think that's, that's a big part of what's going on here, too, is that they, they sort of support the end goal. Yeah, more minorities and women on reading lists, but they don't want to actually engage with what that would entail in terms of uh, repression of liberty. And, and so until they do that, we're probably not going to get very far. Well, it, it it does make some sense, and and I guess um, you know if if we're to draw a conclusion as to what action the listeners uh, to this segment should take, what would uh, what would your advice be? Well, I think that the parties really need to actually get serious about. Um, Compel, you know, essentially regulating universities to uphold the law. That's all. All that we're saying is universities need to uphold the law. Number one, uh, and and that shouldn't be particularly radical. And but they need to be audited because they're not going to do it because within the university there is a political pressure group that is breathing down their necks every day in committee and so on. Um, number two, so there has to be more awareness that this is a big issue. It's spilling out to other parts of society. These institutions need to be regulated. And number two is that. They need to be depoliticized, so it should not be okay for a university uh, president, let's say, to send an email around to all staff saying, um, you know, Brexit's a disaster, uh, or, or, or something to that effect, or, or even to promote critical race theory. It's one thing for somebody to teach it on their own volition, but these overtly political messages coming from the administrative apparatus in these institutions, that really should not be happening. Um, and so this is unfortunately one of these... These, these cases where people certainly in their own lives can, can make a difference, but I think they have to put some pressure on the politicians to, to regulate these institutions. Uh, I, I'm afraid that's the only way I see in anything other than less than 50 years to make a difference, because as the report shows, the younger academics and PhDs are even more pro-canceled uh, than academics, two to three times more. So this is going to get worse. Uh, it's not going to get better on its own. Okay, here's my ultimate uh, question to uh, those suggestions, uh, Eric, which is uh, how do we avoid the backlash that would come if the government stepped in and said to all universities, uh, here's our definition of uh, diversity or whatever you want to call it, um, in, in percentages, much like you suggest, here's what we've got to have um, you know, studied, here's what's got to be on reading lists. Uh, the 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 ones that get reduced in such a equation are immediately going to cry foul. You're stepping on my First Amendment rights. Yeah, and and that's right. So I'm not advocating governments going in and telling people they have, to have more conservatives on their reading lists or in their faculties. I don't think you can. I'm against the the, the sort of political litmus tests and which exists for. Uh, you know, right now they're testing people for their support for equity and diversity. They have to fill out statements in, in the University of California, for example. But, no, I'm not in favor of that. But what I am in favor of is, number one, upholding the law on academic freedom, so not allowing diversity and harassment and, and you know, expanded mm -hmm. definitions of harassment, not real harassment, to actually justify clamping down on people's uh, academic freedom. But more than that, bringing in this idea of political non-discrimination, uh, not 
political affirmative action, just political non-discrimination. I mean, that would make a big difference just in changing the atmosphere and the tone in these institutions, which is overtly progressive. I think trying to get away from that and make it neutral, uh, which is in UK law, for example, schools have to be that way. And I think it's it's reasonable that administration has to should have to be that way. Not academics themselves, but administrators at, at all levels. I think that would make a huge difference. Just be, just if people knew this institution is committed to political neutrality, is not political. I think that would go some way. It's not going to fix the problem overnight, but we've got to start doing some of these things if we're going to start to tackle uh, this self-fulfilling prophecy that's going on. All right. Some uh, great discussion <laughs> points. Uh, a lot of work in your survey. Eric, and we appreciate you joining us today to kind of help unpack it a little bit and uh, give us some more uh, reason for great discussion here going forward in the show. Uh, Professor of Politics at Birkbeck College in London, Eric Kaufman, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, Tim. I really enjoyed it. All right. Bye-bye. Be well. Um, interesting stuff. And, um, again, why why any of us feel the need to cancel out anybody else it used to be that we'd just have a discussion, and if one's, one was really convinced that you were misinformed and this was wrong, you could just say, well, hey, no, that's not what I heard, and you could have a discussion. Now we just simply want it banned from any place without any reasoning to do it. Interesting uh, discussion points, to say the least. We need to take a quick time out here. When we come back, uh, we're going to uh, visit with John Oates, half of Hall & Oates, and then open up the phone lines for you on WCLO, Janesville, Beloit.